It's All Things Considered, and I'm Dave Lawrence. We're continuing our off-the-road interview series, remotely connecting with artists around the world during the pandemic. You can find it at hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look for the Off the Road banner on the front page. And today it's music and entertainment superstar Linda Ronstadt. Despite retiring from performing and facing a diagnosis of progressive supranuclear palsy, she's back with a new documentary, Linda and the Mockingbirds. And while the film includes several classic live performances of material from her Canciones de Mi Padre album of folkloric Mexican classics, it's centered around a bus trip that she hosted last year, taking members of a Mexican-American dance and music troupe, the Los Sensantles Cultural Academy, from the United States to perform in the Sonora, Mexico region where she has family roots. And along for the ride, longtime friend and fellow music legend Jackson Brown will hear as we learn about this moving film and a lot more with Linda Ronstadt. Aloha, Linda. How are you doing? Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And before we get into the film, where are you right now? And is this where you've been since the pandemic started? Oh, I'm in San Francisco, yes. And this is where I've been. And as for yourself, can you recall the first moments you began to realize something big was about to happen in terms of this year and the virus? Um, it was in March, actually. I was going on my way to Tucson. I had flight booked for the next day and had hotel reservations in Tucson. And I talked to Jerry Brown, and he said, this is a big deal, stay home. And I said, oh, I guess I better. <laughs> didn't get any of that advice from the federal government, unfortunately. He said, oh, it's just a cold. People are getting colds, like the flu. But by the time I got around to canceling my hotel reservation, the hotel had already closed. And that was right when it all kicked in. Uh, and as for ways you've been personally touched by the crisis, whether through the struggles of everyday Americans and people around the world, or through the losses in the musical world. I'm thinking of people like John Prine, Ellis Marsalis, Manu Dibango, Adam Schlesinger from Fountains of Wayne, of course, Toots Hibbert of Toots and the Maytals. Well, John Prine is a terrible loss. I mean, my gosh. I know some people have lost their parents. And it, it's a shame because maybe none of them needed to die. Maybe if we'd had good leadership and good guidance from the beginning, the truth would have made a difference. I, you know, the pandemic would have gotten some people, I'm sure. I don't think we'd be seeing the numbers of people dead that we're seeing now. And John, you mentioned him. Was that a, a person you had any relationship or connection to? Well, I knew him. I didn't know him well, but I loved his songwriting. And, sure. You know, for who knows? He was writing at the top of his talent when he died. We might have had a lot of more great John Prine songs out of him. Well, you point out a very important thing, which is the connection that we all feel like many people feel to you through one's music. We thought he was telling stories about his life, but it turned out he was telling stories about our lives. Isn't that the truth with all of you great cats? And final question before we dive deep into uh, Linda and the Mockingbirds. Uh, one of the other parallels during these last several months, the way that the Black Lives Matter movement grew following the killing of George Floyd, the related police reform crisis. Uh, has that been something that's moved you or touched you? Oh, so much because it, it, it means so much. It has implications for Mexican-Americans and Central Americans that are trying to come up and get a job, and you know everybody is trying to get into the country everywhere. I I think it's a terrific chance for people to look honestly and painfully at race relations in this country and how how much it's been just the centerpiece of policy and um, social intercourse. It's just it's a wonderful opportunity for people to get real. And if it's not hijacked by some terrible, ridiculous rhetoric about violence and gangs and thugs in the street, because most people are just peacefully demonstrating what they, 
their opinion is spreading across the land, it seems to be pretty unanimous, or at least be in the significantly in the majority. There are people that are trying to resist it. They're really white supremacists. What Nazi Germany was like, I think. Well, in so many ways, that's my lead into the film, because really this film is in a lot of context about inclusion, the lack of inclusion in some ways. And uh, before we get into the bus trip that it's based around, explain your personal connection to Mexico. Well, my great-grandfather was in Mexico and was still part of the United States. Mexico went all the way through Arizona, Nevada, all the way up to Montana. Utah was part of it. California was part of it. Texas was part of it. And at some point, the United States did an enormous land grab, and they just, around 1846, and they just bit off a big chunk of Mexico and claimed it as their own. So there's a place called the Sonoran Desert, and it's pretty much the same culture on both sides of the line. And he was born in a little town. uh, My grandfather was born in a little town called Banamichi, which is about five and a half hours drive southeast of Tucson. We used to go down there and see it. I love the people down there. It's a really interesting culture. There's a river that runs through that it overflows every year and makes the most fertile land in Mexico. And people have been farming the same way sustainably for a thousand years. And I thought it would be fun to take the children that are involved in this cultural group that I've been working with for the last 26 years. We took 20 school kids from about age 8 to 19. And then we took my nephew and my first cousin to supply some music on the trip. And my little niece, who was two and a half. Annabelle. Annabelle, yeah. And so there are three generations of Ronstats and all these kids from the Sensone List. We invited Jackson Brown. He had recorded with the Sensone List. They made several trips. They went to Cuba one time. They went to Europe with the chieftains. I introduced him to the chieftains. They loved him and took him on the road with them. I introduced him to Ry Cooter. He <laughs> flipped out for them, thought they were wonderful. I was so impressed with Eugene, wrote a song with them, recorded with them. <laughs> Same way with Taj Mahal and Jackson, it was a cinch. Jackson just fell in love with them. When I take musicians over there, it's an easy sell because the music is so good. They teach the music for the best reasons, which is to learn how to socialize and share your feelings and process your feelings maybe privately, express your joy and your sorrow. There's all kinds of good uses. They don't teach it in schools anymore, so they teach it at the Sensualist Cultural Academy. Founded by... Eugene Rodriguez, really an incredible figure when you're watching this, and it connects back to what you were saying, that uh, the Black Lives Matter thing is just one part of a bigger picture of trying to include all the folks who are really immigrants to this land, unless you're Native Hawaiian or Native American in some way, then everybody is is an immigrant. Yeah. Mm. And you have, uh, it's great how the footage is laid out in this thing, too. Um, James Keach, the director and producer, obviously the one who who did that angle of it. But as for that first bit of footage when the film starts, is that Jane Pauley interviewing you? And was that recorded? That was recorded around the time of the 87 release, Canciones de Mi Padre? Yeah, I was just just starting my big Mexican tour. And nobody could understand why in the world I was doing Mexican music. (laughs) (laughs) I had to explain it. She wasn't getting it, incidentally, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a heavy point in the film at the U.S. border with the bus. And, and uh, it's explained how one spot you pass is this barren, scary barbed wire fence roadside. And that's where the ICE agents drop off the deportees. That's where they, they throw them across the border like you use Kleenex. And it just made me think when, when we were on our way back, we had my little niece, Annabelle, two and a half in the bus. And I thought, what would happen if they took Annabelle away from us at the border? What would we do? We would have just been devastated. 
We would have been devastated and we would have been devastated. Nobody ever would be the same again. You said, uh, what if they, quote, just lost her in the system? Well, that's what they did with all these children. There's hundreds of children they've done exactly that with. One of many touching moments in this thing. The children don't know where their parents are. It's a real dark chapter, I think, in our history. In Mexico, if you walk across the street, you're in a different rhythm culture and there's a different language, about 30 different languages spoken in Mexico. So that's why it's even more tragic. These children, they separate from their parents at the border. Lots of times they don't even speak Spanish and they live in little villages that don't have internet or phones or, and they're, you know, they're fleeing poverty caused by drought or gangs or some violence that they have from the government. They're just fleeing for their lives, literally. They're trying to make a better thing for their families. And they separate these children. They deport their families, the families back home and keep the children here and lose touch with how to reconnect them. It's a scandal. They had nothing set up to facilitate reuniting these children with their parents. And it's a, it's a shame on the American government that they've done these to these children. Some of them are as young as five months old, and they took them away out of the arms of their mothers, you know, or five years old or ten years old, it doesn't matter. Get separated from their family, it's a big deal. And those children won't ever recover from it. There's some people in the government today who aren't sorry about it. They think it's cool, they think it's punitive. They'll show those brown skin people who are trying to get into our country. You know, that's their attitude. They're coming here trying to take something from us. But they're not. It's Linda Ronstadt, and tomorrow we'll continue discussing the film Linda and the Mockingbirds, plus get into some classic storytelling from this music legend. Find this and the complete series at hawaiipublicradio.org. Just look for the Off the Road banner on the front page. I'm Dave Lawrence. Oh,